Ruin My Childhood. Thank you for listening to Ruin My Childhood. I'm Kat. I'm Mike. And this is the podcast where we decide if some things are better left in the past. Oh, we brought the tagline back. I didn't do that the last two episodes. Oh, really? No, I didn't. Thanks for bringing it back. I was unaware. You're really classing it up. Tonight, we are going to be discussing an American classic, Clueless. 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 Yep. How about you give us the the lowdown, the deets? Uh, so this one, this movie, you know, from what I remember, this was not a movie that was necessarily targeted to me. It'd be, you know, 1995. I was seven years old. Um, by the end of the year, I'm an October baby. Uh, <laughs> so this, I wasn't really the target demographic for this, but I definitely remember. I was a jaded seven-year-old. I, I feel remember, like it was aimed right at me. As we got closer to middle school, I remember all the girls in my class, like, quote, was like, oh, my God, as if, you know, doing, like, the Valley Girl stuff. Um, but I remember this, I think the first time I actually saw this all the way through was middle school. Like, I would see bits and pieces on TV, uh, but it wasn't until, like, middle school or high school where I actually watched this and realized how funny of a movie it is. But this is not something that was really in my wheelhouse. I maybe watched it two or three times when I was, like, under 18, and then... I'm pretty sure you and I have watched it at some point in our relationship, but like, it's not a movie that I, I super remember. Like all I really remember is, um, the, the Hadians <laughs> thing. Like at the beginning of the movie, she doesn't know how to say Haitians. Uh, so she says Hadians. Uh, but that's really the only thing I remember. And I know Donald Faison from Scrubs is in it. And I know Brecken Myers in it and Paul Rudd. So I had like all these like celebrities that, you know, got really famous for a bit you know paul rudd's really the only one that i can recall it's in this movie that still has a booming career and but... he has not aged since yeah <laughs> <laughs> basically <laughs> what about you though what do you remember from this movie oh my god this movie was on heavy rotation in my house i'm the youngest of three girls my sisters are four and five years older than me so this was aimed like was pretty squarely at their demographic oh, this is for them and we we ate it up it was heavy rotation which thinking back on is kind of surprising because there are definitely some edgier parts and when you said a tv edit like i'm just trying to imagine what that tv edit would be like a tbs kind of version i i don't know i mean i definitely saw versions on you know random tv comedy central tbs exactly what you said so like i remember bits and pieces um oh the other thing circus liquor you know we, we see it very often. We live in the valley. We drive by it several times a Constantly. week. Constantly. But I don't remember the context in the movie, but I know it's there because I was at the mall a few weeks back and like the mall has like a little like thing in the middle where it has all these like standees that talk about like famous things that have happened in the valley. And there was like a little one that said, you know, circus liquor. Stanchions. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a little stanchion thing. And it's like circus liquor famous for appearing in the movie Clueless. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> I always forget that it's in this movie. I don't remember the context of it. So, I, you know, I'm I'm actually really excited to go back and watch this because I know it's a cult classic. Yeah. I know a lot of people love this movie, but I really don't remember. I remember when I watched it in high school, liking it and be, feeling kind of bummed that it's not something I saw earlier, but I don't really remember it, remember it. I think it's been a couple of years since I've watched it, but I still will occasionally watch it if I'm just like scrolling for something and I want something on in the background, but... I'm fairly certain that I could quote most of this film still. Oh, interesting. Still, it, it's it's Give ingrained. Give me a quote right now. Drop it. Oh, like, Drop it. Just put me on the. Drop spot. it like a mixtape. <laughs> God no. Drop it like a SoundCloud. Why artist. would you do this to me? <laughs> <laughs> it's not how I operate. Plus, you gave me alcohol. Shh. 
fuck's sake, Michael. Hey, this, we don't swear on the now. I got to add a bleep. Well, you had to edit that out anyway because you can't just make demands of me after you ply oh, me not, with alcohol. I, this is all staying in. Anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> My brain is not firing on all cylinders. So, Michael, do we have any listener comments? Um, I've got one. Um, it's from uh, Miss Monica Nelson. Uh, it says, you're a virgin who can't drive. <laughs> I'm assuming that's some sort of clapback. Burn. Um, can we say clapback was clapback a thing in the 90s? Uh, it was not. Okay. It was so, not. I guess it was a, a sick burn. A sick burn. <laughs> Gnarly. Um, I got one from Alexandra. Uh, the highway scene is one of the best in cinematic history. Every little spat between Dion and her boyfriend is gold. And um, is, is Dion Stacy, is it Stacy Nash? Stacy Dash. Dash. Oof. Oh, there's a lot to unpack there. There it's we go. Stacy. So that would have been Donald Faison's character then. Yes. Got it. Um, Alexandra also said, uh, Paul Red is the reason a bunch of modern teenage boys are checking out the movie. A friend of mine had a surreal moment when she walked in on her younger brother and his friends watching Clueless. Really? This movie's awesome. That's hilarious. <laughs> I'm glad to see that the younger men folk are appreciating this cinematic gem. That's so funny another comment uh yeah so i've got uh, another one from julie mendez and it says best movie ever i can still quote it start to finish it heavily influenced my fashion style in middle school and high school oh oh interesting i don't remember trying to emulate it but i think i just assumed because she lives in beverly hills that there was no way that was going to happen anyway <laughs> um natasha said i love that throughout she's obviously very smart and also driven and also compassionate but deeply self-absorbed because she never had any reason not to be she believes she's the center of the world because that's how she's been treated and no one showed her different until this point in her life hmm. the commentary on how wealth gives social standing but doesn't translate into actually being a good person i.e amber the monet and what's his face <laughs> the douche canoe she tries to set tie up with <laughs> that's so funny that's a very uh in-depth look at the uh the socioeconomics of this country. Well, you know, this movie is a modern adaptation of Emma. And oh. so there are all those themes. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> there are all those themes of um, the class divide and being out of touch and, and genuinely wanting to do good, but being so out of touch that you're incapable of oh, it. Oh, interesting. Very. It, okay. It's timely I did, when you think I about it. I, I don't really remember the overall plot of this. I just remember it being like a Valley Girl movie. So I didn't realize that there was an Emma element like to it. So that's interesting. So I I guess we should just go watch it. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, like right now, for example, the Hadians need to come to America, but some people are all, what about the strain on our resources? And it's like, when I had this garden party, people came that, like, did not RSVP. So I was, like, totally bugging. I had to haul ass to the kitchen, but by the end of the day, it was like, the more, the merrier. And so, if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. Wow. You guys talk like grown-ups. We are back. We have absorbed Clueless in, in all, all its cinematic mastery. We're going to do, do the book report portion. Yeah, let's do the book report. Do you want to do that part? Uh, why don't you do the first part and I'll do the production. It was written and directed by Amy Heckerling, who did Fast Times at Ridgemont High, National Lampoon's European Vacation, and Look Who's Talking. That's pretty impressive. Massive I didn't realize films. a woman wrote and directed those three iconic comedies. Absolutely wow. iconic. Wow, good for her. Um, I don't really know what she's done since then, though. 
I know something, what? but I want to save it for when we do Night at the Roxbury. Okay. There's some controversy with Ooh, her in that movie. I like controversy. Um, the budget was $12 million and it made $56 million at the box office. Yew! That's pretty great. I mean, especially for 1995, this was before... Did comedies do well back then? Comedies did really well back then, but this was back when $56 million for a movie was a lot. Like... Most movies in the 90s would do anywhere from 50 to 90 million unless it was a huge blockbuster. Wow. Uh, but this was also, you have to think of, they didn't pay, like right now, if a movie costs 200 million, they spend the same amount of money marketing it. So you can really, that's why movies like Marvel movies have to do a billion dollars to break even because they're going to spend 250 million making the movie and then another 200 to 300 million marketing the movie. Yeah. So you have to make a ton. But this was pre-internet pre-youtube pre-online facebook stuff so it was really you know a few buses and some tv ads <laughs> and then this was also when all the movie studios were owned by um the or the tv channels were owned by movie studios so like this was a paramount movie they owned mtv and nickelodeon so they didn't have to pay for advertising on the airtime for that right so and, i yeah. mean they got a freaking fantastic movie for a pretty low budget because none of these people were, were really that famous at the time nobody this has a rotten tomato score critics 81 percent, audience 76 percent. that surprises me because it's a cult classic that is odd i wonder if if maybe people who are actually scoring things on rotten tomatoes are approaching it from more of like a studious standpoint you know what it probably is hmm. um so i actually men ding 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 <laughs> i actually looked it up i didn't read you know there's like 125,000 reviews on this but i went Damn. through and i just um clicked read all but like it showed you know some high scores some low scores okay but what's the gender skew of Rotten Tomatoes low well it's 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 pretty even because it's a user score but of the first you, 20 really you think that they're I think it's probably equal? pretty even but what I when I was going through it and I just you I don't know, think picked, there's a chance in hell that there are more women than that's, men using you're probably right. I think it probably but skews like 75 percent every male. negative review that I and saw was stupid. was written by a man well, there you and go. men are stupid 75 percent of the positive ones I saw were written by women so <laughs> uh yeah I think it is probably a little toxic masculinity uh, brought down. but I'm surprised 76 only like most movies have a higher um audience score than critic score like Almost all movies. So that's wow. pretty surprising. This was released July 23rd, 1995. Nice. God, that was like the sweet spot of my childhood. There was nothing no. was wrong in the 1999, world. 1999. <laughs> that's the reason why The Matrix took place in 1999. 1999 <laughs> was peak human. Like, 1995 was pretty great. 1999 had The Matrix and The Mummy. Okay, but think about our lives <laughs> <laughs> at 1995. 1995. I was in like first or second grade. I, and I, I was kept still moving. rolling my socks up. 1999 was when life got good for me. I didn't have a care in the world <laughs> in 1995. And this was like the summer. Back then, we didn't have anything to do. We didn't really have we the internet. We played outside, drank from the hose. <laughs> Literally, we were banished to the outdoors until it was dinner time. And when the streetlights came on, we were allowed to come back inside. Um, God, it was just a simpler time. But I feel like people really went to the movies in a way that we don't now. Yeah. And it, it was such a great part of our childhood, being excited about what was going to come out and actually going to the opening weekend and talking about it with your friends and unpacking everything and then going to see it again. What, what's nice about this time is also like spoiler culture wasn't a thing. So, you know, people would see the movie and say how great it was, but people didn't really want to spoil things. And now, like, you look at like Moon Knight and I had to stay off the Internet all day yesterday until I got home and was able to watch it because I knew I was going to see a spoiler for it. Oh, so it's so good. That though. was yeah pre-internet was nice for movies um 
Would you like me to tell you a little bit about how this movie was made? I would. Excellent. So this was actually originally going to be a TV series. Um, Fox approached... Um, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Fox approached uh, Heckerling to create a new show. They wanted a high school teen show, but the big thing that they asked for was we don't want it to be about nerds, only the cool kids. Um, so she started, you know, writing this. Eventually, they decided to make it a movie, and she decided to draw inspiration from her one of her most famous characters from Fast Time Ridgemont High is Jeff Spicoli, which is um, Sean Penn's character, the stoner surfer dude. And she was just like, this guy is super positive. That's why everybody likes him. So I want to make a movie about a super positive person. Uh, and she had just reread um, Emma, a book that she read in college, Jane Austen. Like you said, I didn't realize before you mentioned it, you know, at the top of the episode before we watched it, that this was based off Emma. Um, but she uh, just wanted to have like a plunky, nothing can go wrong type of character. So she went to sit in a high school for a week and actually looked at how high school students behaved and talked and whatnot. And then she um, noticed that the girls are in a constant state of grooming and obsessed with their appearance. So that's kind of how like the appearance thing came about. So she wrote the script. Um, it was originally called No Worries. And Fox killed it because it was a female protagonist and all the main characters were female. All the male characters were kind of secondary characters. So Fox killed it. So this isn't going to sell because teen Ew. boys aren't going to watch it. So they killed it. But somehow Scott Rudin got a hold of this script. Now, Scott Rudin is one of the most famous producers of all time, but he's also known as being Hollywood's biggest a-hole. Um, that's a quote from New York Post and the most feared man in, um, in town the, from the Hollywood Reporter. But this guy um, produced No Country for Old Men, Uncut Gems, Lady Bird, Fences, The Girl uncut with the Dragon. Uncut Gems. Yep. Uh, <laughs> the Girl with Dragon Tattoo, The Social Network, South Park Bigger, Longer Uncut, School of Rock, Zoolander, Truman Show, Adam's Family, and eight of the 10 Wes Anderson films that have Sounds been made so far. aggressively male. And then he also um, is a big bro um, Broadway producer, and he pr produced uh, Book of Mormon, Hello, Dolly, The Humans, um, Passion, and Fences. Um, so he got a hold of it, and at this time, he was like one of the most powerful producers in Hollywood. So as soon as he gave it a, you know, his stamp of approval, it became it went through a bidding war that Paramount won, and Heckering was super excited about that because Paramount owned at the time MTV and Nickelodeon which was Ooh. predominantly aimed at kids and teens. So um, that was pretty much how it worked out. Um, once they got it, they fast-tracked it. Um, it only took 40 days to shoot the movie. They shot it in all these different places in Los Angeles. Damn. They shot it at the Westfield Fashion Square in, in Sherman Oaks. They had a, a, a concert scene with the Mighty Mighty Boss Tunes, which in 90, 1995 is a pretty big deal. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of iconic Los Angeles in this movie. That's pretty much how it got made. Once Rudin got involved, um, they just kind of let it go. Do you want me to read the legacy part? Do it. Let me know. <laughs> the film became a surprise sleeper hit of 1995. Clueless opened in 1,653 theaters on July 19, 1995 and grossed 10,600... 10, 10, Just 000. say 10 million. <laughs> <laughs> and it grossed $10.5 on its opening weekend, which led to a ranking of second behind Apollo 13. Wow. Wow. Nobody's uh, beating Apollo 13. The box office success brought the then largely unknown Silverstone to international attention and earned her a 10 million multi-picture deal with Columbia TriStar. You! Damn. The film developed a strong cult following after its release. In 2008, Entertainment Weekly 
selected Clueless as one of the new classics, made a list of 100 best films released between 1983 and 2008. That's a weird timeline. It is a very strange timeline. <laughs> and Clueless was ranked 42nd on that list. It's the 19th best comedy of the past 25 years. And the film is ranked as number seven on Entertainment Weekly's list of the 50 best high school movies. Wow. Um, the American Film Institute has given it some recognition. Uh, their 100 Years, 100 Laughs nominated it, and 100 Years, 100 Movie Quotes nominated the quote as if. That's funny. <laughs> it really does have a lot of incredible one-liners. Oh, good. It did have a lot of really good one-liners. Uh, I, I laughed a lot watching this movie. There are definitely things that I say on a a pretty regular basis that come from this movie. Like Give me an example. California stop. Anytime there's a California stop, I say, I totally pause. <laughs> and I don't think you actually knew what that was. No, I didn't. I was just taking it for granted for the last 13 years that you knew what I was I quoting. I did not know you were quoting something. <laughs> um, I've even started saying that every once in a while when you, when you call me on a California roll and I didn't realize I was quoting a movie. But now we have more quotes that we can use on a regular basis like, you're a virgin who can't drive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the ones I really liked was at the beginning. This was just like, it had nothing to do with the plot. It was just kind of like an aside. But she said, she was talking to her dad and she's like, oh, we should go do another visit in Malibu. And the dad goes, those brain dead morons want to see us again. And she's like, they're your parents, dad. <laughs> I died Dad. at that. Dad is such a good character. He really is. Um, and there are quotes that I completely forgot about, like, uh, searching for a boy in high school is as useless as searching for meaning in a Polly Shore movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's hard-hitting. That's a hot take for 1995. That's like peak Polly Shore time. There are so many things that I just forgot about this film that are completely fantastic, but, but... But. Alexander's right. The scene on the freeway with Donald Faison screaming. <laughs> Screams are good. It's it's like seared into my mind as one of the most joy-inducing scenes so that I've ever watched. He was a um like a child prodigy actor. You got to go to like some of the top performing art schools like starting from like elementary school. Oh damn. Um and you know, I'm a big fan of Scrubs and he is a very good screamer. He has some amazing screams <laughs> on that show. <laughs> <He does. laughs> So yeah, and that's the braces. The, 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 the fact that he has so funny. braces. Well, what's funny is they added it. that for the character. I love but it. in real life, like he got braces in like season two of Scrubs. <laughs> so he had he had to like there's episodes at the beginning of season two of Scrubs where like he he kind of like um has a little bit of a mush mouth because he's learning how to speak with braces again. Oh geez. So yeah. he had to wait, did he didn't have braces and he got them for this movie? Or I guess. were they I always wonder about that because you see so many people who are working with like mouth appliances and weird things and stuff. And I mean, I mean, I had Invisalign for two years and I never got to the point where I did not lisp with them. That that just takes a level of mastery that I don't think I've ever yeah, I, achieved. Uh, I, I had braces and like it was really just a couple of days where you lisp, but you get eventually kind of get used to it. Really? Yeah. Ugh, I don't think I could handle it. Um, another quote favorite. Uh, my plastic surgeon doesn't want me doing any activity where balls are flying at my nose. <laughs> well, there goes your social life. <laughs> so good. Um, what were like the the standouts from this for you? Um, or do you want to do a, a summary? Yeah, I'll do a summary really we'll quick. So, um, it's very loosely based off Emma. You know, it's really just she successfully sets up her teachers at the beginning of the movie because she got like a C in a class. 
and she realizes that she's really good at setting people up so she tries to set up the new girl like she kind of does like a mean girl slash i can't think of another movie where like they adopt the new person and like try to make them popular but she sets up britney murphy with uh tries to set up britney murphy with a popular character and um doesn't really work out so she realizes she's not the best at setting people up and she also sets britney murphy up to be this really popular girl and they kind of become rivals for a little bit and then she falls in love with her um former stepbrother played by paul rudd uh but it's really just Cher, played by alicia silverstone kind of being humble throughout the movie like she gets mugged she realizes that being popular can just be pulled away from her really quick and then she realizes that you you know you need to love the person who uh takes care of you i guess even if it's your former stepbrother yeah but yeah that's the movie really interesting 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 take I think what stood out to me most this time watching the film that I never really thought about that much was the class divide and how it's illustrated and how the people, the working people, because she's surrounded by people who are working for her father throughout the entire film, they put up with so much. They really do. (laughs) Silently. And you just see their, their nods and their glances and... It's so heavy in the film, and for some reason, it didn't really register to me that much. I think what registered more for me at a younger age was her relationships with her friends and her relationship with her family, and that's it. But there's this whole other like class, uh, class hierarchy and the the employees and how they factor into this scenario and how it jars their worldview when that's rattled by one of these people. What's what's interesting, you don't like you bring that up, like there's a part, um, it's like roughly halfway through the movie, I'd say, but they um she's talking to their housekeeper and she says she talks to Josh, played by by um Paul Rudd, and says something like, You talk to her, I don't speak Mexican. Uh and then she says something about like she goes, She always gets mad when I say that, and Paul Rudd's like that's because she's El Salvadorian. It's a totally different country. And she's like, why does that matter? You get mad when you think, and he's like, you get mad when people say you live south of sunset kind of thing. <laughs> um, but it's, it is, like you said, it's interesting. Like she's like totally upset that this person that she perceives as being under her is mad at her for being like super insensitive. And then he calls her out on that. And I actually think what's really interesting is because Paul Rudd has this perspective and he kind of calls her spoiled throughout the movie and he clearly cares about her, but he calls her on her her crap and i i think it's because paul rudd's mom you know his the former stepmother um he probably didn't come from money so he's got a completely different perspective than she does completely different perspective uh, i i think we should touch on that whole uh relationship a little bit more later because sure. there's a lot to unpack there um but that was something I I really loved about this time watching it was that we got to examine that under um, the lens of like 2020 to 2022, which is such a strange, tumultuous time in the world, <laughs> right. especially when it comes to like class warfare and, you know, just the enormous wealth disparity. And what's strange is that when you drive through Beverly Hills today, 
almost looks the same as it did in this movie. Just different cars. It is so absurd. And like even some of the same cars, like there are still old people driving the, the same. The old Porsches. Well, and you know, like a Rolls Royce never goes out of style. So if you bought a Rolls Royce like That's 20 true. years ago, you probably have the same one. It's probably worth more than it did when you got it. It's so amazing to me how much the rest of LA has changed. And yet the rich, the ultra rich, the elite of Beverly Hills are kind of living in this like stagnated world Bubble. well what's interesting it's funny that you bring that up you know another thing we covered that was a very similar demographic was we did uh, 90210 um and they had basically the same intro like the opening to 90210 was like a four minute montage of them like just seeing kids in beverly hills partying and being on rodeo drive and whatnot and the opening of this it was like a solid two minutes of like during the credits of just seeing these kids partying and shopping and driving around in their jeeps with no top up and everything and it's it, it's interesting because that's kind of the same thing that happens in shows 10 years later, 15 years later with like the OC and whatnot. It's the kind of the same vibe that you get from these TV shows. Well, and it's something that um, like, of course, it's approached in a very lighthearted manner, but it's the topic of conversation a lot these days, like the 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 income divide and how we don't have a legal system that is really fair because for rich people you know a speeding ticket is no big deal but for someone who's low income that could mean that like they don't pay their rent that month yep. and there are these scenes where Cher is driving her jeep she doesn't have a driver's license yet she just has her permit and so yet she has something to practice on <laughs> she she's been driving this white jeep around Beverly Hills and just like completely destroying massive amounts of property i love whoever did the stunt driving for this cuz they look you'd think it was Alicia Silverstone they did a good job with that driving that jeep and she just like careens through an intersection and takes out a sign and like it's three no cars she scrapes <laughs> on her driver's test she fails her driver's test and the guy just like fails her on the spot and takes over and drives them back but it's like and she was super confused she didn't think she did anything wrong right she had no concept of this um her father who's a lawyer had to step in and be like you can't actually drive that around anymore until you get a license two permits don't equal a license yeah but it's like it's it's approached in such a lighthearted way and it's absolutely freaking hilarious watching whoever did the stunt driving just like destroy stuff in this white Jeep. But at the same time, it's so cringy looking at it and being like, yeah, nothing has changed. Yep. yep. Still above the law if you have money. And I do really love that about this film that it does, I guess in a way, you know, it is tackling some hard topics and things that are really relevant now and still being talked about you know because they've always been important but it does it in such a humorous way and honestly like the writing is so perfect and it really like it shares inner monologue the narration throughout the entire film it, it's not polished for the viewer it's really just shares inner thoughts and you see what an incredible ditch she is and you see her genuinely trying to be a good person. Yeah. And like she really, really has a, a big heart and she cares about the people around her. She's just out of touch. But she's so out of touch and she has this air of superiority and she just assumes that everyone wants her help if she's willing yeah. to offer it and that anyone should be blessed to take whatever advice she gives them and run with it. So it's just this complete lack of perspective, but also seeing like, Sometimes that really just is the way it is being a teenager. You're so out of touch with reality sometimes. What I, you know, kind of what you're talking about, what I find really interesting, and you, you know, you mentioned it's tackling issues and everything, but I was like really surprised that, you know, the, I, I don't remember if it was Alexander or Natasha 
but one of the comments mentioned, you know, the boyfriend that she was chasing, Christian, who turned out to be gay. Uh, but <laughs> she what's interesting about that when, in the when car. yeah, when when uh, Donald Faison's character tells her initially, she's shocked, but like she's not angry about it, and like it just makes all those scenes really funny, you mm-hmm. know, leading up to it. You know, there's a point where like he's over, have you know, watching movies, and she keeps trying to like kiss him, and he keeps like, you know kind of moving aside there's a point where she's like my feet are cold and she keeps playing footsie with him so he like puts a pillow over her feet and they were watching spartacus and she called it um sporadicus which <laughs> sporadicus. i thought was hilarious but like once she I found love out that the gay guy brings spartacus <laughs> over. <laughs> but when she um realizes he's gay like this is 1995 like now granted she's in beverly hills she probably has a bunch of gay friends in high school and everything even though we don't see him but like she's just like oh yeah he is totally gay how did i not see it and she moves on she's not angry she's not upset there's no like homophobic kind of anything in this movie which i thought was was uh actually pretty refreshing and interesting unusual for the time yeah unusual for today still if we're really being honest yeah absolutely and then like the the haitians or the hadians part (laughs) like even though you know it turns out that was a real like slip from from alicia silverstone she really mispronounced that and they they kept it in and it's hilarious but when you look at that like she's clearly out of touch but she's naive but still has a good heart and believes in doing the right thing so like the whole thing is should we be taking in haitian refugees which unfortunately you know we're 30 years later and um, Haiti has had a bunch of different you know earthquakes and everything where we've had to you know take you know the world's had to take care of it's like god it's still relevant today but she was just like it doesn't say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty (laughs) and you know the more the merrier and she compared it to like a dinner party she threw where nobody RSVP'd and so it's still a very first world problem that she was able to but she was able to pull herself out of the situation and that was the closest thing that she could do to relate to what the Haitians are going through. Mm-hmm. But she still was like, yeah, we should totally take care of these people. <laughs> oh, there's just so many moments that are so good and so well written. I love um, how spot on the language was. It, it's so many scripts. It's like you can tell they're written by a 40 year old man just guessing at the way teens spoke. But that's yep. actually the way that teens spoke at that time. I mean, she went to a high school in Beverly Hills and sat there for a week. So she really did. OK, but like, who stuff. let her in? Who just know, lets in these adults? I don't know how this works. How is that legal? I don't remember. what. Cause I, um, Tom Holland spent a week at a high school. When he was getting ready for the first, did they Spider-Man do background checks? I mean, because actors are just such. Shady I don't people. know, but like apparently, like Tom Holland when he did it, like a day late, people like a day into it, people are like, "You seem a little old," even though he looks really young. But he was also us. famous already. Not when he was getting ready for Spider-Man. Not in America. Nobody knew who he, he was. He was on Broadway. Nobody in America knew he who he Billy was. It was Belly Elliot. Yeah, no, but nobody in America knew who he was. But people were like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm Spider-Man. And like, he, I mean, classic <laughs> Tom Holland spoiling things. But like, it seems like that's the thing that people can do is just go to high schools and study. That seems questionable. I agree. And unsafe. I do not approve. Um, there are so many things that I forgot about in this movie. I forgot that uh, her mother died from <laughs> lipo. Routine lipo. Routine liposuction. <laughs> I love how they just like do away with the mother character in so many freaking films. Yep. It's ah, a cheap device. Um, well, I forgot that Jeremy Sisto was in this. I don't know who Jeremy Sisto is. Jeremy Sisto from Six Feet Under. Oh, okay. I didn't know the actor's name. Yeah, the, 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 the manic dude. brother. The manic brother. <laughs> yes. Um, Brittany Murphy. Brittany Murphy, R.I.P. Such a gem. This, still, this. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> she did a lot of TV shows before this, but I think did this she? movie like really launched her 
her career into the stratosphere. So I think if, you know, if she didn't, you know, unfortunately pass away, um, I think she still would be having a really good career like Paul Rudd because she was really good and she was, she in was a so lot underrated in the, mid- in the mid-2000s. She actually had to have a parent on set for this movie because she was underage. She was the youngest person. She was 17. Oh, wow. Um, and so she's the one who says the, you can't drive, you're, you're a virgin and you can't drive or whatever virgin that is. Can't drive. Uh, she said, she always found that funny because she actually was a virgin and oh, didn't shit, have her driver's license. you guys got license. Coke here? <laughs> That was pretty funny. She still had like her baby fat and everything. She was so young Aww. and cute. She was adorable. Even Paul Rudd had some baby fat. I don't think anyone could have played that character as perfectly as Brittany Murphy did. She's good. She had that like that perfect like innocence, but you know, she also had that kind of weird accent and kind of a goofy voice. And like if you look at her in certain light, like she looks like she could be a little bit high. Well, and she was in Girl Interrupted and, you know, uh, in Sin City where she played, you know, troubled kind of people so like just so good in everything she ever did i always thought she would have been a really good harley quinn Uh, oh yeah i think she would have killed it if we were able to you know christopher nolan if you know heath ledger and and she didn't pass away i think she could have been a really great harley quinn for heath ledger's joker so freaking good uh stacy dash (laughs) stacy dash before we realized she was a freaking idiot she was I don't even know stuff. what else to say about Stacey. <laughs> she doesn't really do anything. Does she like do she, talk shows and stuff? I don't now? know. Well, I, I don't think anymore. I like she was like a, a she just GOP court, like pundit for a little bit, and then even Ugh. the GOP was like, "Ooh, she's even problematic for us." Oh, she's so good in this though, and she's so beautiful. She's like she's ridiculously very attractive. She person. was the the oldest person on set. Whoa, how but, old was she? Uh, twenty nine old woman yeah uh, <laughs> but i mean she she was really good in this uh, she uh she went on to do uh not just her there were a few people so the person who, oh what's the redhead um the redheaded actress the one who looks 30 yeah so her donald <laughs> Faison and and stacy dash went on to do the tv show that started a year after the movie came out what, i've for three never seasons. seen the tv show apparently it's not very good but uh yeah it went three seasons and you know, Paul Rudd didn't come back, and and uh, Elisa Silverstone didn't come back because you know they were actually talented. But uh, Elisa Donovan is that the redhead Amber? Yeah, yeah, her. Yes. So she did the show, the TV show as well. Stacey Dash did, and Donald Faison, and the teacher, the 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 woman. Um, I don't remember what class she taught, but the one that she hooked up with, uh, Wallace Shawn. Twink Kaplan. Yeah. Her name is Twink. Yeah, there you God, go. God, I love that. She played Miss Geist. Yeah, exactly. You know who I forgot was in this movie, or I had no idea. I didn't remember most of this movie, but Brecken Meyer is in this movie, and he's just plays like a stoner, you know, delightful guy that is really nice to Brittany Murphy's character Ty, and she's like throughout the whole movie, like Ty's really interested in him, and Cher keeps telling her you can't go out with him. You know, he's a he's a loady. They don't call him stoners; they call him loadies because they're always loaded. Um, but he's just like super sweet and super funny throughout this whole movie. He does like a skateboard trick and everything. Um, I've met him. He's actually really nice in person. And, he totally he's... like aged up into like CW dad. Yeah, he he does look like that now. But I, I met him like five years ago. He's like three feet tall. He's I love nice. that character. And that's so sad how like initially Ty is attracted to him. <laughs> and Cher just like right out the gate is like, um, you can't hang out with him. Yeah. <laughs> And then eventually Ty, played by Brittany Murphy, like says something really mean to him. And he's just like, you could see him get heartbroken. Mm-hmm. And then he just kind of leaves. But they, they do end up together at the but end the, of the movie. But like, at the end of the movie, she also doesn't really apologize for any of that. No. 
as far as I can remember. It's like they just hang out with him at a party and suddenly everything's cool again, which, you know, I guess is a testament to the stoner kid. Yeah. They 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 were all hanging out at the uh, the wedding for the teachers play you know Wallace Shawn and the uh, the female teacher uh, Twink <laughs> <laughs> Twink <laughs> what a great name <laughs> of course we can't forget Paul Rudd you know if we're going down the the cast list Paul Rudd he's very consistent he is consistent <laughs> he played this character like he played has played so many delightful people he's just a delightful person like if you told me Paul Rudd's character. Uh, I mean, we know it's not the same character, but you know, if you if this was a prequel to "I Love You, Man," I would totally believe it. <laughs> Except um, in "I Love You, Man," he had that epic sandwich, and in this, the way he it makes the sandwich, the way he <laughs> makes the <laughs> sandwich is so. <laughs> I never noticed before, but this dude, this son of a, bitch, he takes the bread, he puts it down on, the, on like a paper towel or some. Shit. He puts like Stop a. Stop swearing, man. He puts a slice of turkey or whatever on top of it. Then he takes a, a knife full of mayo and puts the mayo on the turkey <laughs> and then just puts the top piece of bread over. Like, who makes a sandwich like that? <laughs> it is offensive. We. When, and when disgusting. When we saw that, you were like, did he just do. <laughs> You were like flabbergasted. You're like, rewind, rewind, rewind. You know, like I get it because so many times you're given an action to do in a scene and especially if you're like making something with food, you don't want to necessarily do it a bunch of times in rehearsal. So like maybe you'll kind of like pantomime it in the rehearsal and then you'll do it in the first take and it just does not work because you haven't rehearsed it, right? You don't want to be like wasting these supplies on set because it's real food and, right. and they have to reset it. And you can scrape off some stuff, but a sandwich is pretty hard to undo and then redo. So I get how things happen maybe like the second or third take that just don't make any sense but then sometimes like this makes it into a movie and you're like how who makes a sandwich like that what on earth were, was he just like trying to fit it in with the lines and that's what happened but still like how much less it would have been the same amount of effort to throw the glob on the the piece of bread and then smash the piece of bread on top <laughs> Anyway, that's just something I never noticed before, and it's gonna haunt me for the rest of my life. Yeah, that was odd. Uh, one of the, he actually had a really good line where, like, after he she sets up the teachers, and then she successfully makes Ty popular, and this is before kind Ty kind of turns on her a little bit, or before she gets jealous of Ty's uh, popularity. But she says something along the lines of like, "Oh, I, you know, I, I've done so many good deeds. I just want to do good for society." And Paul Rudd just like, as an aside, under his breath, is like, "How about sterilization?" And I was like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> and I like that the character is obviously much more informed than Cher is, but he doesn't lord it over her. Like, he makes little jokes like that, but he's not a total douche canoe when he really no. could be. You know, he's he's not. And, like, he uh, he's on a date, you know, at the, when she gets mugged in front of the circus liquor, uh, and he brings the date with him to, you know, <laughs> go pick her up. But he's, like, not upset. He's, like, he's a good dude. He's, like, recognizing, like, dude, she just got mugged in the valley. Like, I'm going to go and take care of her and pick her up. Um, and then, you know, initially he starts out as kind of a good older it's brother. It's not Sun Valley, though. It's North Hollywood. That is North Hollywood. Absolutely. <laughs> but she, uh, like, you know, throughout the movie, he starts kind of... Um, noticing that she's going after um christian and he's just like he doesn't like the idea the guy's kind of uh 
you know, he's kind of a, a douche and he's like asking her for money and he's like, obviously he's got feelings for her, but he like goes to like keep an eye on her. He like follows her to the concert, buys a ticket to the concert so he can keep an eye on her. And then he sees Brittany Murphy is like by herself because she doesn't really have any friends other than Cher and Cher's dancing with this guy. So he like dances with, with, with Brittany Murphy and, and it's I like really that. cute and sweet. But you know, I also like... Did he necessarily know that he had feelings for her at that time? Because like, I think so. Her character has this big epiphany where she realizes she's in love with her stuff. Apropos of nothing, right? Yeah, it kind of. I don't. She know. she gets she sees him dancing with with Brittany Murphy, and she's kind of like, "That's weird." And then like the it, next, it takes thing- some jealousy for her to realize how she feels about him. So I mean, like his character maybe didn't necessarily like understand where his motivation was coming from and right. being there for her but i do get the sense through most of the movie that he is just trying to be a good big brother and that's what makes it weird and, it makes and, it so weird because like, he is a good brother the dad looks over at him when he's like you're really gonna let her go out with that guy and like the dad's like he's like i'm gonna go check it out and the dad's like yeah you go and do that and he looks at him kind of like out of the side of his eye it is really weird because he does kind of take on this role of a big good big brother that she decides to date at the end it's like yeah from a legal sense there's nothing wrong and she says that they were briefly right step so you know clearly the marriage with his mom didn't last very long didn't they say they were married for like five years well, no that was they got divorced five years prior oh, okay so you know i mean she was you know she would have she was supposed to be 15 in this movie so she would have been nine when they got divorced but paul rudd would come to stay with them on vacations because when they mention that he's coming, she's like, why is he here? He's not your your stepson anymore. And he goes, you divorce wives, you don't divorce kids yeah. um, kind of thing. So like the dad clearly cares about this kid, you know, Paul it's Rudd. It's complicated. <laughs> but it is like, it's, it's you know, she was only nine and everything. So she probably really wasn't into boys. So it's like, you know, she really only knows him as a teenager, but it is weird though like i do i I, that is one of the things that i love about this movie is that it shows like a spectrum of the american family and like let's be real there are a lot of american families that are kind of weird and twisted and complicated in that way and people who don't necessarily know what their relationships with their former step parents are and it, it it's just a it's interesting territory to examine in such um a risky manner and i i, I do applaud that the uh the writer's ability to somewhat pull it off well, and you know speaking you know to heckling the writer and director of this you know she there's throughout this movie Cher has to do a couple of debates and then like she always is paired up with amber who's just like she barely did a debate like what am i supposed to do to respond to that but like even though all of her responses and her arguments were naive they they were ultimately good they just you know lacked any actual academic weight because there was no you know sources or anything like that wallace sean comes down hard on her yeah that um but like she's unresearched and unstructured she has it exactly but like her heart's good and she's smart like she's able to recognize where her gaps are in life and apply them and go well this is the closest i can relate as a first world person living in beverly hills to you know third world places um but she is smart. She has a good memory because there's a point when she's like hanging out with with Josh, played by Paul Rudd, and his date when she they go and pick her up from getting mugged. But the date says something like she quotes Hamlet, and she's like, "Oh, that's from Hamlet." And she goes, "No, no, no, no. That's um." She goes, "That's not correct." I remember Mel Gibson. <laughs> yeah, and so she, yeah. The, she's like, "I study Shakespeare," and she's like, "Why?" Well, 
an expert on Mel Gibson and he didn't say that. Polonius <laughs> said it. So it's like she is smart. She just doesn't apply herself. Well, it I she she didn't have the focus that she needed to to get the grades, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, she the dad is more proud of her for negotiating. A, so she had she had mostly A's, but she got a C in debate and she got a C in whatever class uh, Miss Geis taught. I don't know what it was, but um, she was able to talk them into it after she smoothed them and got them to you know be happy because they were getting laid essentially. Um, but she is smart and she knows how people work, even though she's she's a little disconnected. So it's it's interesting that the dad is proud of her for that you know, talking, you know, negotiating better grades as opposed to being academically smart. Um, but it takes a street smart and it takes the smarts of knowing how to talk to people, manipulate people to be able to do that. Well, so, it took motivation. Yeah. I think, it, you know, not that I would watch this movie, but I would love to know what happened to the Cher Horowitz character, like where she ended up in life. Right. I think that'd be very interesting. She'd be a great lawyer. She would be. I, I, I absolutely think she would be. And, um, yeah, I think it's just so interesting that, you know, the same character, if she had just a slightly different upbringing, would be, I think no matter what parents raised her, she would be a successful person. It would just be a different way of being successful. Like, she naturally is gifted and smart, even if she doesn't appear that way. Exactly. Sporadicus. That's so funny. The cookie dough. Oh, my God. There's, you know, there's so many things in this film I don't know why it wasn't something that stood out in my mind as something that I love about this film, but the timing, the comedic timing is absolute gold. If It really is. If this film did not have a superior editor, it would not be as good as it is because so much of the comedy is just in the way that, that you hear things. <laughs> like when she um, when she's getting ready for her date with the, the gay boy and she said... Uh, you should always have something baking when a boy comes over and she just takes like the entire tube of cookie dough and plops it onto <laughs> a baking tray. <laughs> and There's then... so much comedy gold in just the sound of the dough hitting the pan. <laughs> and then she forgets about it. It's just smoking and she's like, ah! It's so good. Um, it's what's, what I think is probably the weakest element of this movie. You know, it happens in Mean Girls where, you know, Lindsay Lohan's character becomes very plastic as well but the um tie becomes rude and everything like she's dangled over the edge of the the barrier at the mall you know at the second level or third level of the mall and you know people are giving her attention because she almost died and she immediately just kind of becomes a mean girl and is kind of crappy to to share who you know she doesn't owe Cher anything. Like Cher was being nice. Like she doesn't automatically owe her being nice to her, but like she turns on all of her friends because she's getting attention very quickly. I didn't, I felt that that turn was too quick. I don't know. I think, I think it does make sense because they're teenagers and teenagers are mercurial AF. <laughs> and also like she was the new girl in town and Cher just made her an experiment. Like she immediately scooped her up and right. was like, you need a makeover. And she wasn't really allowed to just be herself. And it wasn't until she kind of stood her ground and stood up to Cher that she was able to rekindle their friendship in a more authentic way where she was able to be herself right. authentically in that relationship and still be appreciated by Cher. I, I agree with that. I just feel like 
I think like when you look at Mean Girls, which is a more contemporary movie, even though that's still, you know, 15, 16 years ago at this point, uh, <laughs> makes me feel so old. But, you know, Lindsay Lohan's character had a slower turn to the dark side and then she had her redemption. Like, you know, there's little bits where she compromises her integrity and it gets bigger, bigger compromises. I kind of wish that there was more than just this one incidence that but kind of flipped their friendship. at the same time, I feel like that character's narration is also a 30-year-old looking back on her 15-year-old self. Whereas Cher's inner monologue and the writing of this film just feels so authentically it teenage it, in a way that does. I have not seen any other film replicate. I, I think my problem with that is more from just a, I, I don't think you're wrong that it's probably more accurate for a teenager who suddenly gains popularity. And, you know, in that scene, Cher is trying to knock her down a peg by interrupting her story, even though the story is an exaggeration, no longer even remotely close to the truth of what actually happened. But that's what teenagers do. They exaggerate the story yeah. and whatnot. Um, but I just think from a narrative standpoint, I think you're right that that is more accurate to how things work i love I the authenticity of the I, teenage I just, angst that's true and i just think as a story it would be more interesting to see that slow turn to the dark side right i would um, have liked to see some of the teenage boys tortured a little bit more yeah it's interesting they were, like some real toadies yeah it, they're it, pretty it, awful yeah like the whole what's interesting like donald Faison's character even though like he's very misogynistic and calls her woman and everything she keeps telling him not to but then at the like when she calls him out on it like i don't remember what the explanation is he goes but it's actually this and he tries to like flip it like it's actually an empowering thing and like um dion actually kind of buys it and i was actually impressed with it to an extent but it's also like i don't this guy clearly doesn't actually believe what he's saying right but like <laughs> it's just like pseudo feminist nonsense that a high school girl would be like oh my boyfriend's actually sweet and understands the plight of a woman even though right. throughout the movies like I, you know she's upset with him for you know clearly cheating on her because she found like a braid in the car uh, <laughs> and he's like that looks like yours and it looks nothing like it I do not wear polyester <laughs> and then he's like are you on your period woman uh, so it's like but like there are high school boys did say that kind of stuff to women or girls yeah they pretty much only said it for the benefit of their friends i love that christian Cher makes him out to be this like big character in her head and she has such high stakes for their relationship and like she wants her first time to be this you know perfect event and she's decided that it all hinges on this guy he's so well dressed and he has a great car and he's just like well groomed and everything that she expects in a man and for him he's just on another planet like he's excited about her epic house yeah. and like having a look around at all the art and he's just like on a completely different self-absorbed planet and i love that about the character the only thing it, no it's hilarious and like he knew that he she like walks straight into the house and doesn't care who he offends he nope. flexes for the dad even after the point where he sees that the dad does not appreciate his flex he asks share for money in front of <laughs> paul rudd's character and like he knows that she's into him but like doesn't really like he he clearly throws up signs that he's not into her but doesn't explicitly be like hey i'm not into this right. which is pretty you know passive and aggressive but it seems like totally on brand for this guy I love it. It's nice to see um, a male character use a teen female character for something other than sex. Yeah, <laughs> just hanging out in a nice house, getting good food, and <laughs> watching Spartacus. Yeah, <laughs> that character was was actually really really funny. I liked him a lot. Um, I'm just trying to think. If there's anybody anybody else anything to talk about? Like this movie's it, it borders on uh, borders on like parody. 
uh so like almost like you know shrek was really hard to kind of talk about because there's just so many jokes every minute it's really fast paced this is really fast paced there's so many good one-liners that it's i feel like we could talk about it forever it, it really it hits so many different styles of comedy so there's like the physical comedy there's the the mastering of the timing and the editing editing that's absolutely hilarious and the lines i mean it's completely wall to wall fantastic one liners it is it, it it's like it's mastered all these different styles of punchlines and made it all come together in a really cohesive way you know it yeah. must be the soundtrack the soundtrack is pretty. The soundtrack pretty is banging. superior. I had the soundtrack I'm a super on cassette, model. and then when I wore out the cassette, I got the CD, the compact disc, and I still listen to the soundtrack on a regular basis. That's so funny. Kids in America by the Muffs. Yeah, I mean, like Rolling that's a classic. With my homies. Uh, Change the Lightning Seeds. God, and what I love about listening to the soundtrack is like you get the the feel of the entire movie. So when you listen to the soundtrack, you get the same like warm, fuzzy feelings of um, things being resolved and all being That's right funny. with the world <laughs> that you get from when you watch the movie. Where'd you go? The Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Yep. Um, Need You Around by Smoking Popes is still like the best love song ever. <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> That's that's pretty much all I, really I got. Have it. it was a, a really fun, enjoyable movie. Like this was not one that was part of my wheelhouse as a kid. Like I, you know, saw bits and pieces of it. I remember all the girls my age, and you know, girls a few years older than me, like my cousins, who loved this movie. But yeah, it, you know, it wasn't my wheelhouse. But watching it as an adult, I had a really good time watching this movie. Like my notes end um, at the mall scene when Brittany Murphy's dangling over the edge of the rail. Like, I just stopped taking notes because I was just, like, really into this movie. Like, I have very few notes on this movie. I wonder if um, if the comedy actually has an extra layer for younger people watching this. Because, I mean, for us, like, when it came out, everything was very modern. And there was actually some technology that was a little bit ahead of what we could expect. Whereas, like, now most of the time when we watch movies or TV shows, the tech is, like... 10 years behind for some inexplicable yeah. reason like cell phone interfaces suck but in this film Cher had an app for her entire wardrobe that's right like well, it was kind of ahead of its time in that regard but at the same time we had like giant cell phones so I wonder if like Gen Z kids watching this think that that might be like an extra layer of comedy maybe. that doesn't really read for us one of the things that surprised me was there's a you know there, there's a lot of talk about who are virgins and whatnot like Early, I don't remember what the context was, but like, you know, during the first interaction with Brittany Murphy's character, they say something like, you know, it's it's different here. She's like, oh, you don't have to worry. I'm not a virgin. Um, so that's a very prevalent part. And they call her, you know, you know, Alicia Silverstone's like, I'm not a prude. Uh, I just waiting for it to be perfect, like you said. But there's a point where um, they kind of look at Dion and she's like, I'm a virgin. But like she says, well, I mean, technically or something. I don't I'm paraphrasing, but so right. <laughs> like shares like, come on, like. She's like, technically, I'm a virgin. Okay, so but like, like, what does that mean? Does that mean she gives like a killer blowjob or does she take it, it in the butt? Anal? Yeah, I don't know. I so don't everything. Know. So it's like, I mean, that is a joke that would have entirely gone over my head. Okay, but there are some girls who do that who like will say that they're not going to have sex, but then they'll take it in the butt for years because then they're still technically a virgin. Right. Which is just like such an awkward, Where strange, they do the, uncomfortable do the, workaround. The soak. Soaking. <laughs> It's stupid. <laughs> I feel like any penetration I is agree. Uh, but I you know, agree. like this is this is a new era where 
we're more in touch with different types of sex with different genders having sex and back then sex for us our generation is like penis and vagina which P is in the v so boring Ultimately. missionary <laughs> missionary even Yikes. only one only one position exists <laughs> it doesn't count if it's not missionary yep Yikes. As it is written. <laughs> just, just some things to think about. <laughs> I think we end on that note. <laughs> Was it a blowjob or in the butt? It depends you on what your me. definition of is, is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um... I guess, you know, there wasn't really anything to ruin of your childhood with this film. No, not really. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. So, like, if this was a big part of my childhood. Did I, it exceed your expectations? It did. It was It was far better than I thought it was going to be. It was a lot more progressive than I thought it was going to be as well. Right? Was that? Right. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed the movie from beginning to end. I took very little notes on this movie. I... You know, I knew I was going to enjoy it because I always enjoy it. But there's so much that I didn't really think about before. And it, it, it's it's fun to watch these things in the context of today. I think even when we started this podcast, God, how many years has it been? So we got the Barry Bonds asterisk because we took a year off. So we, we've really been doing it for like four years. Okay, but four years ago. I think if we covered this movie four years ago, my takeaways would have been very different. You think so? I think so. I huh. think like it post, post 2020 to 2022. Post 9-11. It's just like such a traumatic time in our history. And it really yeah. reframes things in in really, really drastic ways. This reminds us of the days before we had microplastics in our lungs and blood. Mm. But you know, what I love about this is that the comedy still lands for me. There isn't a single thing that I laughed at as a kid or as a teenager that I don't still laugh at. Yeah, and I don't think that, you know, obviously the nostalgia factor it wasn't as big for me. Like I remember, as I was watching this movie, I remembered more and more of it. Um, but it wasn't something that I remembered entirely going in. Um, but I don't feel like this was like funny for nostalgia. Like there are a lot of movies that we've talked about or TV shows where like this was great because of the nostalgia, but it ne right. wasn't necessarily a good movie. This I, is I just a good movie. It, it's a solid movie. It's a it's a very solid movie. A plus, ten out of ten. I give it an eight point five. Woodbang. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Michael, where can our listeners find you? Oh, uh, you can listen to everything that's MDX Pods related at MDXPods.com, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, oh, all at, at MDX Pods. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to MDXPods.com. No, that's not where you go. You can go to Patreon.com <laughs> slash MDX Pods. Uh, and you can also check us out on YouTube as well. I always forget to plug that, but we're on, we're YouTube on the YouTube. Exists. And if you want to hear more from me, you hear me talk more, you know, for whatever reason. Is YouTube going to become a nostalgia thing? No. YouTube is still like the biggest streaming service out there. Oh, well, there you yeah. go. Um, but you can you can also listen to me more on Remake Rewind as well. Remake Rewind. I'm all over the internet at Katrinaosity. And uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs>